as we know, when it comes to Shoshana, there are a number of differences in the Nusach HaTvila. The most important ones being that in Shemun instead of saying Hakel HaKadosh, we say Melech HaKadosh, and instead of saying Melech Oyev Tzlako Mishpot, we say HaMelech HaMishpot. There's a second group of changes in Shemun which are the additions we make in the Tzlako and that is the added lines of Zechreinu Lechaim, Yichomoycha, and which we insert into the brachas. Now there's a big difference between them. What's Nagea to Melech HaKadosh is the in the Gemara, and the Gemara already says it's Ma'akeb. And therefore, if a person forgets to say Melech HaKadosh, instead of that he says HaKel HaKadosh, the Allah is he's not Yaitse. And he has to repeat Shemun It doesn't make a difference where he's up to. Unless, obviously, on the spot, this is Akel HaMelech HaKadosh. So that's the first. The second, what's Nagea to Melech HaMishpat. So over there we say that if a person says the regular Nusach of Melech Oyev Stokho Mishpat, but he ever is still Yetzir. And the reason for that is, is because he's mentioned the word Melech and he's mentioned the word Mishpat, and therefore, even though he threw in another word or two in the middle, it's not ma'akev. Right. The other additions of Shemun if a person doesn't say them, he doesn't have to repeat Shemun for them, they were later additions by the Goenim. What happens if the person is not sure? So, it depends when he's not sure. If Peshayas Maisa, he's in the middle of Shemun still, or just after finishing Shemun he doesn't remember, did he say Melech HaKadosh or not? So we assume that if he wasn't paying attention, he said what he normally says. And if that's the case, we'll assume he said HaKel HaKadosh, and you'll have to repeat Shemun Esrei. But if a long time later, a half hour, an hour, whatever is later, later, so then he realizes one second, and starts to think back, what did I say in Shemun Esrei? The chances are that if he didn't think about it at the time that he made a mistake, he probably said it right then, and he doesn't remember. And therefore I heard that if it's not at this time of Shemona Esra, it's only later on that he starts having spakers, what he said, he doesn't have to repeat. You can assume that he, at the time he said the right thing. Right. That's what's again, not just for Rosh Hashanah, but those changes take us the whole way through that Sarasim Rosh On Rosh Hashanah itself, it says, you know, the number of additions in the davening, the Brach of Atzal Kodesh is expanded, to not just say in brief that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Kadosh, is Naira, but we go into detail that the day will come when the whole world will recognize that, that we'll be able to serve Hashem as we meant to do, that He'll reveal His majesty to the whole world. And that's the, really the theme of Rosh Hashanah, that we're going to see Be'ez Hashem. And that's why that's all added into the every single sphere of Rosh Hashanah. Right. Being as it's Shabbos this year, so even though the, the Shemona Esra remains the Shemona Esra of Rosh Hashanah, but one has to add Shabbos in as well. So in the middle bracha, then two or three times, where there are insertions to say, Yisyama Shabbos was there, or in the bracha, Makadesh Shabbos, and it's, if a person leaves that out, he forgets, he just says a regular Rosh Hashanah Shemona Esra, he's going to have to repeat it, because he's not going to to mention Shabbos also. So it's something to pay attention to, and that is when we dive in Shemona Esra this year, to remember to add in all the additions for Shabbos. And that applies to all the Shemun of the first day. Same thing when you get to the second night. So being as the second night is Motley Shabbos, and we meant to make some form of Havdalah in the Mariv after Shabbos. So we have an extra bracha of Vatayidiyenu, which is in the middle bracha. And it takes the place of a Havdalah, so to speak. And therefore there also one should be Makbid to remember to say, if he doesn't, it's just like saying and he's still Yetzir. Right. For Baruch Hashem, we have the Shul, and uh, whoever's diving with a minion, it will be like every year. But if there's anybody who, for whatever reason, is diving on their own, or you know someone who's, who's not going to be attending a minion diving on their own, so it's important to remind them that the Gemara says, and that is a person who's diving the Yechidus, the person who's diving on his own, should not daven Musaf, until after the first three hours of the day. And the Gemara in Abel says the reason for that is because there's more of a Kitrog, there's more of a Midas Adin at the beginning of the day. 
And therefore, if a person davens Musaf, which is a time when the, there's more, that, that he's, that's when he's being judged, and it's a time when there's more Midas Adin in the world, so then he sh- it's, it's not necessarily uh, going to be to his benefit. And therefore, if a person has a source of a tzibur, it doesn't make a difference. Anyway, parenthetically, as in the show, we only get to Musaf after three hours of the day. But if a person's loving on his own, he should wait until after the first three hours. Okay. What's Nagar to What's Nagar to Tashlich being on the Shabbos day, Tashlich being on the second day? I'm hoping, just again on the side, that there will be the option like every year of doing it in the Shul. However, we've been advised that whereas in past years it was the Tashlich location for the whole of Ramadish Shkol, being as it's going to cause crowds of people, it's, we're not going to encourage everyone to come, but for the members of the Shul who are there anyway to the davening, there's a Shem, there will be an option of saying Tashlich in the Shul. Tashlich will be second day Rosh Hashanah because first day Shabbos. Right, that's what's Nagar to the Ikh of the Din of it, of the changes in the davening. The Mishabura also brings that being as the Rosh Hashanah davening is not as familiar to us, we only say it once or twice a year, so the person should look through it ahead so that he knows what he's saying, he understands what the words mean, and that way he's able to focus his thoughts more on the meaning of the words he's saying. Right. Now let's talk about, briefly, the what changes in the Twitter because of Shabbos. So we know already that on Shabbos, obviously, we don't have the Shofar. We'll talk about that by Hashem soon. We also don't have Avina Malkeinu. We don't have the Yugimel Midas before the Torah reading. We don't have the the supplications during the Berkos Kainim. And the reason for all these things is the same, and that is that we're not meant to be asking for private requests on Shabbos. And that's how we take all of, the, all of these uh, tefillahs out. And the question always is, does that mean that on Shabbos we shouldn't be asking for all the things we want Hashem to give us next year, so we shouldn't be davening for what we feel we need? And the answer is no. The results learned already right, it's B'tiyam Adin, and we know that that's what's in the balance, that's what Hashem is deciding for next year. Then of course we meant to uh, have that in mind and daven for that. But I heard from Revolver always, is that it's true, but it's not meant to be the focus of our davening. The focus of the tefillah is the avoid we're meant to be doing, which is doing Makabal Malchus, like we spoke about in the shul, which is davening for Chaim, even because that's the main tefillah, which we ask for. But, of course, if a person has other, other requests, which he is going to ask Hashem for, whether it's health, whether it's Panathal, whether it's Shidduchim, whatever it might be. So, that, of course, there's a Makam to add that as well, but, like Rabbi used to say, in the Lakayin, that's all. Not done, add it in the main part of Shemun and that would be mostly even on Shabbos. Right, that's what's going to get to, that's going to get to the Tefillah of Shabbos. Um, like we said before, there are the additions which a person has to remember in every Shmon Esra, that it's Shabbos as well, and to add the, the in the middle bracha also the mention of Shabbos, uh, because uh, we have to be added to the Tefillah of Shabbos also, otherwise we'll have to repeat Shmon Esra. Right, now Shabbos presents us with another halachic, so to speak, dilemma. And that is, what do we do about Shara Shuddhas? Because, like every Shabbos, we have a chiyah to eat three meals, and to wash it all three, on the one hand. On the other hand, there's also the Shulchan Aruch, and that is that on an Erev Shabbos, or an Erev Yom Tov, a person is not meant to be Kaveya Suda, which means a person is not meant to sit down to a proper meal within three hours of the night, because we need, we would like him to eat Suddhas Yom Tov, let's say, over. We would have an appetite for the Suddhas Yom Tov. And therefore, even though normally when Yantav and Shabbos coincide, it's not necessarily a problem because the davening finishes early enough that this time in the day still for a person to have two meals, but it's Rosh Hashanah and it's a lengthy davening, so there isn't that much time left from when a person arrives home of the Musaf until he's within the window of three hours before Shkir. So what's the answer? That's the first issue we have to deal with. The second issue we have to deal with is the issue that even though normally on Rosh Hashanah, there's a big mechlekes ha'poyeskim if one's allowed to eat before Musaf. And the reason for that is, is because you have a klal in halacha, and that is a person is not meant to eat when he has a mitzvah deraisa to do, until he's been makayim his mitzvah deraisa. And therefore it doesn't make a difference if the mitzvah deraisa is shayfa or lulav, or tefillin or kriyashma or whatever else it might be, a person is to do the mitzvah he has to do before he eats. And if that's the case, the question every regular year is, 
how are we allowed to eat before the kiss? Because it's a mitzvah of the rice, which is waiting for us to do, and we shouldn't be allowed to eat. The prevalent minag in most minyanim, definitely all the yeshivas, is to have a break and to eat before the kiss. They're relying on the fact that because it's barabim and because it's in the shul, so everyone is, acts as a shamer for each other, and therefore no one's going to forget about the shofar afterwards. But there is a there is a machlekes about that. That being said, when it comes to a year like this year, when the first of Shabbos and Shabbos, so then not only is there no problem to eat because there's no shofar, so we don't have a mitzvah deraisa, which is waiting for us to do. But on the other hand, there's a chiyuv to eat, and the reason is is because Shulchan Aruch paskins that it's also to fast on Shabbos, and fasting means a person's fasted until half the day. There is such a thing as a half day tainis. Like we, for those who know, tomorrow, for example, Erev Shoshana, to be fast until Chatzos, it's got the dinner of a tainus already, and therefore the person is not allowed to fast until Chatzos and Shabbos. And therefore, this year, being as always Musaf ends after Chatzos, a person would have to either drink something before the davening begins, so that he's already broken the fast end, so to speak, or a person would have to make Kiddush and eat at the Kiddush, because that way, also, he's eating something before Chatzos. Second day, there's definitely a hetzer to eat before tzikiyas, which is what all the shuls, including our shul, does. If a person wants to hold the other shetzer and not eat, he's not, it's not also for him. He doesn't have to eat before chatzos and rosh hashanah. But on Shabbos, everyone's mechayiv to eat. So that's as far as the kiddush goes. As far as the shetzer goes, so being as the chatzchira, we want to wash all three meals in Shabbos. So what one needs to do is one needs to split the time one has between two meals. And then, obviously, the question is going to be, to make sure that when a person can wash, bench, and wash again without it being a bracha shayna which means without it being an unnecessary bracha. One can't just wash and bench and then wash straight away again because that means that the benching wasn't necessary. And therefore, what you need is that the person has to wash and bench and then have a significant either half second time or in place. And that way, when he comes back to the meal, it's like a new start, he can wash again. Right, even though norm, normally, we say that the ikasud of Shabbos should be the first of the two meals on Shabbos day, and that should be the, the biggest siddha. Again, in Rosh Hashanah it's not so practical, because if a person eats the first, like his lunch, is the biggest siddha, there won't be time, he definitely won't be hungry to eat Shabbos right afterwards. And therefore we can rely on the day that it's enough to just wash, eat kibetzah of bread or whatever else one wants, without eating the main siddha, bench, and then for Shabbos Shabbos eat the main siddha, and that's also okay. Right, that's what's going to get to the service of Shabbos. Now let's talk quickly about the inyanim of eating on Rosh Hashanah. We all know that there are various minhagim on the Rosh Hashanah on the simonim to eat. So, I don't have to go through the list. Everyone has it and I'm sure it's prepared already and it's in every side, Siddur and Machsar. I just want to go through some of the halachas which aren't so well known about the simonim. The first one is, what's the order of the simonim? So even though traditionally everyone thinks of the apple as being the primary simon, but when it comes to the order of what one should eat, so we have the regular rule, and when it comes to making a bracha of eats, because since these fruits are not normally eaten in a meal, and therefore the hamotzi doesn't cover them, we'll have to make a eats. And when one does have to make a eats, the rule is always that shiva simonim come first. And therefore since one of the simonim is the date, is the tamar, a person should make the bracha on the date first, and then only afterwards eat the apple or whatever other fruit he has on the table in front of him. Now, when it comes to tomorrow, when it comes to dates, so there's the option of either fresh dates or dried dates. Either way around, they're going to take precedence as far as the bracha goes, and both of them, the bracha is going to be her eights. One more thing to point out, not to make the mistake, and that is even though normally we say that he rotten for the semen before we eat the food, which is of the semen. So, for example, they'll say the Yeratzen, Shatachadish, Shalane, Nashana, before you take a bite into the apple. But when it comes to the date, you're going to have to eat before the Yeratzen. And the reason for that is, is because you made a bracha. And once you made the bracha for eight, you're going to have to eat something straight away, so you eat the bracha. And then afterwards, you can say the Yeratzen. Now, when it comes to dates, so if a person's eating fresh dates, he has to make sure the dates are ripe. A lot of the dates in the market now are not properly ripe, it's only, ripe, it's only the beginning of the season. An unripe fruit is better. And you're going to see one of the rules of food in Rosh Hashanah is a person is not meant to eat food which is bitter or sour because it's the, just like the simon of eating honey is for a sweet year, one wants to avoid simon of something which is sour or is bitter. 
and therefore a person is sure the fruit he's eating is ripe because unripe fruit is very often bitter. If a person is eating dried dates, so here's always a shayla of checking them because there's a pretty high rate of infestation. The way to check them is to open the dates, to take out the seed and to check around the, seed, the bed where the seed was. So you look for either worms, which there could be, or for little black things, which could be the eggs of the worms. Now, being as this year's Shabbos, and there's a real problem with Boerer, so it's, it's difficult to be able to check it properly without coming to take away the seed or the parts of the date that you're not worried, you're worried about. And therefore, there's a practical tip, uh, what I try to do at home as well, is to always make sure to check the dates before Rosh Hashanah. And that way, when it comes to meal, we're ready to eat, we already have checked dates. Yes, there's a mail of Shalim, you're making a brach on something whole, but over here, where the chashash is, that anyway it's going to be a hefsek, because you're going to have to check it before you can eat it, it's better to pre-check the dates, and that way they're ready to eat already. Right. Now it's going to get to the dates. The same shy that comes up in Shabbos, when it's going to get to the fish's head. And the reason why... Question, Jeff? Yeah. Regarding the fish's head, the fish's head, why not make the hirotza before the bracha as opposed to the... You could do that also. That also works. If you want to make the hirotza before the bracha and then say it's an eat, that'll also be good. That's fine. The main thing and, is not to say the bracha and then the hirotza. Sure how do you check to make sure that the fresh dates are ripe? You said to check that... that. If they're soft. If they're still hard, they're probably not ripe. Okay. Right. What did I say the of a salsa this was? What did I say? To eat a little bit for the first meal, have a hefsek, and then eat a, and eat a second, the main meal by the by Shalosh Hodes. Right. And that, so going back to the simonim, going back to the simonim, the other simon which is problematic on Shabbos is the fish's head. And again, for exactly the same reason. Being as it's a very little food, and then you have to get through the bones or the scales or the eye or whatever it is that you don't want to eat. So there's a real chashash of boyer. And if a person like, takes away this psoilus, what he doesn't want, to get to the part of the food that he does want. Uh, there isn't much of an option here because one wants to see the fish's head, that's the semen. And therefore a person just has to be careful when he's trying to extract something to eat from it to make sure not to be over in boyer and to take a, to just to take out of the head the, the food that he wants to eat and leave the rest behind. Right. The other issue which often comes up with fish's heads is that after everyone's using it as a simon, no one wants to eat, no one wants to look at it or eat it anymore, and then it gets to the dinner of something which is going to go in the garbage, in which case it becomes mukta. And therefore, the hetta to move it is only to move it directly to the garbage, relying on the hetta of graf shalrei, which is something which people don't want to see on the table for the rest of Yom but then don't move it around back to the kitchen, to the counter. If you, if you don't want it anymore, then put it out the way we dispose of it basically will, will no longer disturb you. Right. Otherwise, things which are no longer edible could get into, go into the care of you being mukta. Okay, that's what's going to get to the simonim we do eat. Now, there's also brought down in the halacha that Rosh Hashanah is a din of a yamtif, and therefore, and we should wear a person like this, interestingly enough, there's a mitzvah of simchus yamtif. And normally, simchus yamtif means meat and wine. Um, it's not clear if a person is meant to drink wine in Rosh Hashanah, it might interfere with his davening, but there does seem to be a chiyav to at least to be makayim simchot yamtav with eating meat. And therefore, even if a person normally on Shabbos might not eat meat, on Rosh Hashanah there is an Indian to eat meat because there is, according to a number of poiskim, that's the Mishra Paschal, is also a mitzvah of simchot yamtav. Uh, besides the yamadin, it's also yamtav, and you have to makayim the chiyav of yamtav. Right, that's what a person is meant to eat. Now, when it comes to a person who's not meant to eat, so we find three categories in the post scheme. The one first I mentioned already, food which is sour, food which is bitter. Now, that doesn't mean food which is spicy. In other words, there'd be a problem eating pickles or olives or lemons, things which are sour or bitter, like I said. But if a person wants to eat uh, hot paprika or pepper, that's not a problem. That's uh, spicy, it's not bitter, and there's no problem with that. The second thing not to eat is brought down in the post scheme, not to eat nuts. It could be for simple reasons that it interferes with one's ability to daven. It could be because of the gematria, that it's a gematria of chait. It could be the spiritual reasons for it. But the minag is not to eat nuts in Rosh Hashanah. And now, it's a common misconception based on the unfortunate English translation. And that is, the nut the Gemara is talking about is a fruit. In the Gemara's terminology, nuts, egoism, are all fruits. 
it has all grown trees. So whether it's hazelnuts or walnuts or pecans or almonds, that's all in the category of nuts. Now, in English, we also have something called a peanut. It's called a nut, but it's actually more of a pea. The peanut is a legume, it grows on the ground, and the brach is adama. In halacha, it's a kidney. It's not, it's not a nut, it's not a fruit pichlal. And therefore, even though it's called a peanut, there's no halachic problem with eating peanuts in Rosh Hashanah. The problem is only the tree nuts. That's the second thing. And the third thing, which is brought down, that's a well-known, but it's brought down in the Arizal, the Kabbalah, a person should not eat grapes in Rosh Hashanah. He has these reasons, like said, which means a person shouldn't eat grapes in Rosh Hashanah. Right, so that's what a person should avoid eating. Now, even though the Simonim are at night, the restrictions against nuts, sour foods or grapes, are for the whole Rosh Hashanah. Some people keep up the restriction until Yom Kippur, but it's brought down that for Rosh Hashanah. Right, that's what's going to get to the first day of Rosh Hashanah. We get to the second day of Rosh Hashanah, so the, the, the first thing, obviously, to speak about is how to make Abdallah. How to make Abdallah the second night, because even though it's Yom Tov, we're saying goodbye to Shabbos, and therefore we need to say Abdallah. Now, the case we're going to have anyway for Kiddush, that's not the problem. The problem is about the, the Ash. We want to make a bracha by Maria Ash. How are you going to have a candle uh, for Abdallah on Mate Shabbos, which is Rosh Hashanah? And the question is like this. Even though it's Mutter to light a candle from an existing fire on, your, on Yom Tov, but the Shulchan Aruch Paschal in Hilchus Yom Tov, that a Nerishal Batala is also. Which means, a candle which I'm only lighting without using the light. And therefore, if a person wants to make Havdalah, he has to make sure that he's not lighting a candle for no reason except for Havdalah. It's called a Nerishal Batala. And therefore, a person should, and also obviously, there's a problem you can't put out the candle. And therefore, a person should do one of three options. The one option is to make up the Abdallah candle on the nearest uh, Yom Tov that his wife's lighting. And then if you have two candles, obviously one will cook oil, but if you have two candles, you put them next to each other so it makes no bukkah. You already lit those candles for Yom Tov, you can make very marriage on that. The other option is to light a candle and you got to use for Abdallah and then put it somewhere in the house, obviously which is safe, but which is darker, and the candle will provide light there, then it's doing something useful on Yom Tov. Or the third answer is, for when the lady is about to light a Yom Tov candles, and therefore she has the candle, or the match, whatever she's taken, to transfer the fire to the to Yom Tov candles, to make the bracha of Bairam Arash on that. When it comes to Shekhiyan, the second night Yom Tov, this is always the question, <coughs> that it's a Sophic, it's a Sophic on the Shekhiyan, um, if, if we meant to make Shekhiyan the second night Yom Tov or not, and therefore, Halakha says, a person should have something else to be yet to the Shekhiyan on. So the two options in Halakha, the one is new clothing, the other one is new fruit. Let's talk about each of them in turn. If a person is using the Eitzah of new clothing in order to be yet to the Shekhiyan so firstly, what clothing qualifies for Shekhiyan? And Halakha there is, is that it has to be something which is considered expensive, and therefore a person feels, it's like a like a person feels happy to have it. Number one, and not shoes. And therefore, if a person buys himself a new belt or new socks or a new yarmulke, none of those things are qualified for shekhyan and they're enough. If a person buys himself a new suit, maybe a new hat, or something which is choshev and it's, 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 it's a simcha to get new, then you can make shekhyan on that. How soon before Kiddush does he have to put on the new clothing in order to be as a shekhyan? It doesn't have to be that he changes a minute before Kiddush. You can wear it already for married the second night, and then afterwards say shekhyan and Kiddush. It's still the first time he's wearing it, and therefore there's still the Kiddush of the new beggar that he's wearing now for tonight for the first time, and you can make a and you can make on that. Right. If a person is relying on the eights of new fruit, so now here we have the chashash that I mentioned earlier, and that is very often new fruit is fruit which is just starting to become ripe. It's, ripe. it's still the beginning of the season, and if that's the case, it's not really ripe yet, which means it's not sweet, it's bitter, and then you have two problems. Number one, it's not clear you can make shechianu on a fruit you don't enjoy. The whole brach of Shekhiyano is on the fact that it's, it's a schus to be able to eat a new kind of fruit, and for that, the person would have to enjoy it. And if it's better, it doesn't have a good taste, then the person wouldn't enjoy it. And number two, it's Rosh Hashanah, we're not meant to be eating better things. And therefore, a person should look to find the exotic fruit, maybe, which he doesn't normally see or get, to make Shekhiyano on, but to look for fruit which are right at the beginning of the season, and not properly right yet, is not recommended. Uh, just two examples. Uh, in Israel, for example, now, if you look hard enough, you'll start to see little oranges 
um, on the shelves. Now, this is before the season of the citrus fruits begins. And therefore, oranges, if they're marketing already now, have a good chance that they're, good chance that they're not ripe yet, and might still be very bitter. Same thing, right, okay, this year it's not the gear, but sometimes the black grapes, which they sell much shorter time is the beginning of the season of the grapes, and if that's the case, they're still small, and they're not necessarily sweet yet. And therefore, like I said, if I shake on a fruit, a person should look for a fruit which, even if he hasn't had it before, and it's a new fruit, whereas a fully ripe fruit, and therefore you can assume will have a good taste. To be able to shechianu the fruit, it has to be on the table during Kiddush. That's when he says a Kiddush, he says shechianu, he can see the fruit in front of him, and he has it in mind. He doesn't have to eat it right away. The person can wash first and make a moitzi, and then eat the dates to make the brach and the shavu like we said before, and then afterwards he can go to the shechianu fruit. Right. That's what's going to that's when I get to the food of Rosh Hashanah. Obviously, as a reminder, like every every time when Shabbos goes into Yom Tov, a person can't start preparing for Yom Tov until Shabbos is finished. That's a regular day of Hachana. Even taking things out the freezer to defrost, if a person does it, well, it's still Yom Tov. And will only, uh, Shabbos, will only defrost. When it's Yom Tov, that would be awesome. And therefore, a person has to either make sure... A person has to either... Sorry, so best is to make sure that I said that it starts all the preparations and defrosting food either early early after Yom Tov, or the other alternative is that if it's a possibility that you use it on Shabbos, so then you can do it if you still be ready to use it on Shabbos. If everybody could mute themselves, Okay, very good, thank you. Okay, let's just get to the halacha of let's just get to the halacha of um, davening in yontif, the halachas of eating in yontif. Let's quickly remind ourselves the halachas of tomorrow, erev yontif. So we know there's a much longer slichas. There's a minag which is already brought down in the midrash to fast half the day. It's a, the midrash says more than that. That if a person fasts a third of the uh, before Shoshana, Hashem is Michael a third of his averus. So, for sure, it's something which is a worthwhile investment. Um, it's, even if a person who does want to fast, it's mutter to eat or drink before the Shachar. The fast only starts before the Shachar. It's also the minak tomorrow to go to a mikveh, like every year of Yom Tov. This year, um, because of the, the health hazard involved, it's only recommended to go to a mikveh if it's not going to be too busy or too full. Right, the problem isn't so much the water as the fact that there are lots of people in a, in a very confined area. And therefore, if a person does want to find a mikvah to go to, you should find a time where it's empty and there won't be too many people in a small space. The Midrash says, as brought down in the Lacha, that a person is meant to prepare for Yom Tov, even though it's Yom Adin, like any other Yom Tov, uh, trim his beard, take a haircut, cut his nails, wash, wear Yom Tov clothes. And the Gemara says that the mind of Klai Yisrael, that even though they know they're going to Yom Adin, we still prepare for it like we're praying for Yom Tov. And the last Nakoda, which is going to get to the Rachel tomorrow, and that is a Taras Nadarim. The main idea of this Nashkenazim is to do a Taras Nadarim on Rosh Hashanah. Now, the main is if a person has made Nadarim, in other words, he's made a commitment for something, 
or he made a pledge to tzedakah, or he was mechayim himself to do a mitzvah. It could be to to, to keep up with the It could be to learn a certain sefer. It could be whatever, whatever any other mitzvah. So this might need real hatar sandar. Real hatar sandar means you need to speak, go to a basin where at least one one person knows the halachas of hatar sandar and can do a, a proper hatar. The hatar sandar we do on erev shoshana is more for accidental nadar, which means like we say in the nusach that I didn't say vineda. I took on something good to do. And I didn't have in mind merosha. I'm not I'm not intending to make this into a nadar or something like that. And for that, we don't need the full hatar. It's enough just a declaration of intent that I never meant a nether in the first place. Now, hatar al-sadarim applies equally to men and to women. And this is a big problem because even though men have the ability to do hatar al-sadarim in shul because there's enough other men that they can get into groups of four and each one will be matzah and for the other ones, ladies, it's not so easy for them to do hatar al-sadarim. And therefore, the etzah always is that if you have ladies in your family, whether it's your wife or your daughter or whatever it might be, so, beforehand, make yourself a shliach on their behalf to do Atar Sadarim for them as well. Shliach works for Atar and therefore, when you get up, you don't say I'm being Matimanadarim, you say I'm being Matimanadarim and everyone else in my family. And that way, you can be Matimanadarim on their behalf. Once again, if a person knows for sure they made a nether, then that's not going to work, then they need the real Hatara, and it's definitely could die to take care of that before Rosh Hashanah because the Darim is one of the things that it says about and it's much harder to get shiva for if a person has the dharam and therefore for sure we want to we want to do atara before it right that's what's negate to average shana what's negate to serious mitzvah besides for obviously the most aspect that it's a, it's a time when we meant to be showing how we're trying harder and the halakhas of that the shukhlaq is a whole simon to say the people who aren't in Nizar, aren't careful about various halachas like Pasakum or whatever it is during the year should be more careful now. It's also an Esratzen and if a person wants to daven or has what to daven for, so now is a week in the year and so is Mechiva. When Tfilas are that much more easily accepted, so obviously we make the most of it and uh, there's more Slichas, there's even more in every Tfilah and that's the way we prepare ourselves um, for Yom Kippur, which Be'ez Hashem will still have a chance to talk about before Yom Kippur. Now we have a few minutes left, so after speaking about the halakhas of Rosh Hashanah, let's talk a little bit about the, the Indian of Rosh Hashanah. And specifically what I want to talk about is the Shafi. Before the can I ask one quick question? Yeah. Regarding the, the fasting tomorrow, that uh, obviously it's uh, after Alois, uh, does it until Chatzais? Is there an Indian to go until Menachat? And if one does, would one say an Indian? Yes, if you if you davening mincha gedolah and you haven't yet eaten, you can say anena. Is that only if you took on a kabbalah before nightfall, or or as long as you took on the kabbalah before alais? Normally, we want a kabbalah from the day before. The tainus, which is considered like something which everybody does, so then it's assumed you'll do it even with, and especially if you've done it beforehand. It's assumed you'll do it even without the kabbalah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the Shafa. And specifically this year I'm talking about the Shafa because we only have one day of Shafa this year. Now, the besides for the Mitzvah Darais, obviously, that there is in blowing the Shafa, we know that the Shafa plays a very big part in what, we, what we're trying to do in Rosh Hashanah. Because the Shafa is a schus, the Gemara says already, that helps us helps us, so to speak, survive the din, if you want to call it like that, helps us, helps us be victorious in the din. And the Gemara already says this in Rosh Hashanah, it says that the Kayach of the Shaifa is a Kayach Kedai La'arba V'sasotin. It confuses the Sotin, it makes him up. How does it mix him up? As we know, the Rosh Hashanah is like a, is like a court case, it's a, a with the defendant, and the Sotin is acting as a prosecutor. And it's his opportunity to bring all our various in front of our Kaddish Baruch Hu and demand justice, demand din. And we're the ones defending ourselves, so to speak. And therefore, it's like being as the Satan has basically proof on his side of everything we might have done wrong during the year, so it's not easy to get through such a din. And therefore, the Kiddush is that we have the Shafer. And the Kayach of the Shafer is that it's, with the Kayach of the Shafer, 
we're able to survive the death. How does it work? How does the shofar confuse the satan? So, I'm not talking Drush now, let's learn the sugi together, it's like Gemara Rosh Hashanah, and Rashi, Tosis, and Iran. On the sugi, all ask this question, what does the shofar do to confuse the satan? Each of them has their own answer. So let's explain all three shittas. They're all right, but let's explain one by one what three opinions are about how the shofar counteracts the prosecution of the satan. So the first answer, look at is Rashi's answer. What Rashi says is that the koyach of the shofar is it shows the Klai Yisrael are being mechabe of the mitzvahs. The shofar, we makbar in every shita. But even though there were three different opinions what, it, what the word true in the Torah means, and it could have meant what we call the shvarim, it could mean what we call the true, it could mean what we call the shvarim true, and you see we do all of them. We do shvarim truas and truas and kiyas and shvarims. And we do it before Musaf, we do it during Musaf. And in one breath and in two breaths. So we, by Shafa we're showing how much we yetze the mitzvah according to every opinion. We show how much we're trying to mechabev the mitzvahs. How much we're trying to do the mitzvahs properly. And says Rashi, this is what, so to speak, ruins the argument of the Satan. Let's explain. What's the Satan's argument on Rosh Hashanah. What's he saying to Hashem? What's the prosecution? The Satan has proof. Because Zara tells us that anything a person does wrong during the year, the Satan has proof of it. And he can show Hashem all the proof. All the times Kaisal fell, all the mistakes we made, all the things we didn't do, he has all the proof. But what's the taina? What's the claim? This is a very important use of say. The claim of the Satan is Klai Yisrael are mezalzal in the mitzvahs. Klai Yisrael disregard the mitzvahs. They don't take it seriously. And all, as proof, the Satan is going to bring every time Klai Yisrael did something wrong. Whether we did in Mekayimit or we did we over in Avera. And therefore the argument he's trying to say is Klai Yisrael don't deserve to have the Torah because you see Klai Yisrael are mezalzal in the Torah. That's his argument. Now, this is, a, this is an important point to understand. The Bernayana points this out in Chari Trevor, but it's a very true thing. There's a very big difference between somebody who does things wrong because he makes a mistake, because he wasn't careful enough, because he wasn't paying attention, because he forgot, to somebody who does things wrong because there's an attitude that it doesn't make a difference, I don't care. If a person's has the attitude of to do things wrong because I don't care. I'm a zazel. I, I don't consider it important. Then if that's the case, it deserves death. If a person shows that contempt, so to speak, for terror, he deserves to be punished. That's a certain argument. But if it's not like that, really a person does want to do the right thing. Really a person respects the terror. But we people, and people make mistakes. So yes, we've made lots of mistakes. But it's all together a mistake. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't trying to show that we were with intent disobeying the Torah. That's not Mu'erer Din. That's Mu'erer Rachamim. It's Mu'erer Pati. We're not perfect. What can we do? That's what we are, we people. And that's why the Sultan is not just content with showing Hashem that what we did, the Satan comes with a claim. And that is, this is all proof the Klai Yisrael don't take the mitzvah seriously. This is all proof the Klai Yisrael are showing contempt for the Torah. And therefore, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, and we blow the Shafer, with every hidra that there is, and we show that we of the mitzvahs, we show we're trying our best to do the mitzvah in the best way possible, it leaves the Satan without an argument. It leaves the Satan without an argument. These are the people you're saying about them that they're showing contempt for the Torah. These are the people who don't care about a mitzvah. Look how much they're trying to the mitzvah as best they can. What about all the all the things he has to show that we've fallen in and haven't done right in the past year? Hashem accepted. We make mistakes. Of course you respect the Torah. Of course you want to do the right thing. We're not yet holding. We're being perfect. And that changes the outlook from being one of din 
against somebody who's contemptuous of Torah, against someone who's disrespectful to Torah, to one of Rachamim, of a person who's trying but he's making mistakes. And that, that's how, according to Rashi, the shofar, so to speak, is the counter-argument to the claim of the Satan. Now let's look at the second argument, the second explanation. Now I'm going to talk about the explanation of the Ran. I'm just going to elaborate in my own words a little bit to explain the Yusoy the Ran is saying. Let's, let's, let's look back a bit. Let's say like this. Really, if anyone has ever seen a court case or been in a court case, that's a very miserable experience for the defendant. Especially if it's a court case, which is a criminal case, and he stands to lose a lot of money or suffer some other major punishment. Why? Because it's just a matter of time until things play out to their conclusion. If a person's done something wrong, and for whatever case they've been brought to trial for it, what's there for them to say? If that's that the facts are the facts, and there's proof that he's he's done, he's committed a crime. So it's just a question of the procedure of until he gets prosecuted and punished for it. And therefore, standing trial in such a case is a very unhappy place to be, because there's nothing for him to do. There's nothing for him to do. What's being evaluated is what's happened in the past. That's nothing. That's not something he can change. And then, like I said, it's just a matter of procedure until things come to the inevitable conclusion. If Rosh Hashanah would be like that, it wouldn't be a Yom Tov. It would be another Tisha If Rosh Hashanah would be that we're standing in trial for whatever we've done wrong, and all the proof is there, and therefore automatically we're going to just get tried and sentenced, then it would nothing be celebrated in Rosh Hashanah. There's a Chiddush. There's a Chiddush in Rosh Hashanah. And that is that although there is a trial, and although the Sultan has the right to present all the arguments he wants against us, and he has proof of everything he's saying, it's true. But there's a tremendous Chiddush in Rosh Hashanah. And that is, Hashem doesn't begin the court case, so to speak, until we blow the shaper. Hashem doesn't begin the court case until we blow the shaper. It's only when we blow the shofar that we begin the day. That's why we wait later in the day to blow the shofar. We want more time to prepare ourselves. And what's the significance of that? What's the significance that we blow the shofar and that, that's, then we can go into the day? The answer is like this. The shofar is the second point, says the right. And that is, there's an opportunity before the din to do chayv. There's an opportunity before the din to be granted a, a pardon. It's not a court case where it's inevitable that we're going to get judged and sentenced for what we've done. We have the option of apologizing and then doing chayv and then we get let out. Imagine somebody, a prisoner in the dock saying the same thing. So before you judge me, I want to apologize. I'll never do this again. I'm really sorry about it. And the judge says, okay, if that's okay, then get out. You can go. If that possibility was there, who wouldn't do it? Who wouldn't grab the chance? It's like the famous marshal of Rebellion, that the jailer comes in the morning and he sees that the whole jail, there's only one prisoner less. And he asks them, where will everyone else go? And he shows them the remaining prisoner that they dug a tunnel out of, out of the jail and they all ran out. They're all free. He's the only one left behind. And in Rabbi Yonah's words, the jailer says to the prisoner, he says, Kshay Yoyim, fool, why are you still here? There's a path, there's a way out. Why didn't you try to save your life? What are you still sitting in prison for? And Rabbi Yonah turns that marshal to anybody who doesn't grab the opportunity of doing chavah. You're going to be judged. The evidence is stacked against you. 
The prosecution is waiting. You've given the chance to get out of it before it starts. You're given the chance to do chuva and then it made it is nothing to judge you for. Because we'll be given a, a pardon, so to speak. So why don't you take it? Says the Ran, that's the Koyach of the Shaifa. The Koyach of the Shaifa is a Koyach of Chavah. And why does it ma'ad with the Sultan? Why does it confuse the Sultan? Because then this persecution goes out the window. He's come prepared for a court case. He's come with proof to prosecute. And what happens? The judge lets off the defendant because he said he's sorry. So what, 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 there's no prosecution anymore. We made it. The Koyach of the Shaifa to undo the Sultan is the Koyach which is Ma'ayur asked the children. Because if it's if it's Mu'ayr asked the Chiva, if it's Mu'ayr asked the Chiva, so then automatically there's there's no prosecution. The Satan has nothing to do. And the Chesed of Hashem is he gives us the first chance. He's not going to start the din until we brought the Shaifa. Because if we use the Shaifa as a chance to do the Chiva, then there's no din. There's no need for a din anymore. The defendant's already been acquitted. That's the second. That's the second way of understanding how the shaykh works. And lastly, when it comes to the shit of Tosis, and Tosis says, why is it that the Sultan gets confused when we brought the shaykh? Says Tosis, the reason is like this. He says he doesn't quote the Zayr, but first I'll tell what the Zayr says. The Zara says on this day of Rosh Hashanah is a day of Shaifa. It says the Zara, Rosh Hashanah is a day of Shaifa blood. Vadayin ain't the day of Miatekaya. But still, I don't know who blows the Shaifa. The Shaifa is meant to be blown. Who's the one who blows it? And says the Zara the answer. Talmud Laimar, the Apostle teaches us, Hashem blows the Shaifa. We know Hashem blows Shaifas. What's the good with Rosh Hashanah? Taisus, when he explains the Gemara, says, What the Sultan is afraid of is that maybe Mashiach is coming. Because it says, Nadem Mashiach comes, Vahaya Bayaimahu. He talk of a Shaifa Gadol. On the day when Hashem brings the Mashiach, there will be the sound of a great shaykh. And when that happens, then the Sultan loses his job. And there's no further needs to try and tempt Klai Yisrael to sin, and there's no further need to prosecute them. And the question is, why does the, shayf, the Sultan think when he hears our shaykh that Mashiach is coming? So here's the Yisad. The Yisad of Tosfos and the Yisad of the Zara I mentioned before. We mentioned before Slechas. I'll say this again. Klai Yisrael b'koyla ahuva. Klai Yisrael is beloved through their voice. The voice is the feeling we're trying to convey. The feeling, like we said then, which runs deeper than words. The feeling which is more internal than anything that can be expressed in speech. That's the shaita. It's Klai Yisrael's innate cry that we want to do the right thing. And what the Zara is teaching us is a, the core of the Shaifa it doesn't remain without a response. If that's our, so to speak, approach to Hashem with the Shaifa, Hashem responds. Our Shaifa here is matched by a Shaifa from Shemaim. Our Shafa here is matched by the sound of the Shafa. And we say to Hashem, Hashivenu, bring us back. And Hashem's Shafa is, I want you to come back. And the more we brought the Shafa here, the more we am with that feeling becomes the feeling of Klai Yisrael here. So, in the same proportion, the shaykh of Shemaim is stronger. The Sultan knows that. And the Sultan knows it's just a matter of amounts. If the shaykh here would be strong enough, 
then the Shaykh of Shemaim will turn into the Shaykh of Mashiach. If there's enough, enough of a rotsin generated here by people, that we say to Hashem, then the response of Hashem will be strong enough to bring Mashiach. That's what he's afraid of. The more we blow, the more intensity the Shaykh has, then the closer the Shaykh in Shemaim comes to gain to the level of intensity that Hashem will bring Mashiach. And he made us not afraid. So we've seen three things, Rabbi Sir. Three different approaches in understanding the Shofar, they're all true. Firstly, Rashi. The Shofar is the expression of Chibu of Mitzvahs. The Shofar is the expression that the Torah is important to us. We do our best to keep it properly. That negates the Sotan's argument that we have Shalom not being careful about Torah. We have Shalom being contemptuous of the Torah. Second, the Ran. The Shofar's opportunity to do Tshuva. So, and if we do use opportunity, then it didn't get called off. We've been acquitted before the prosecution had a, time, had a chance to start. And that's the symbol of Rosh Hashanah. Yes, there's a din, but there's a way out of the din. You aren't compelled to stand in judgment. There's a way to escape. And lastly, Tosis. Lastly, Tosis. And that is, the Shofar here has a response in Shemaim. The louder our Shofar here, the louder the heavenly echo. The more intensity our Shofar has, the closer the intensity of the Shofar Shemaim has in becoming the Shofar of Mashiach. Those are the three Kavanas you should have with us when you're going to the Mitzvah Shofar this year, like every year. And firstly, we should all be Zaycha, firstly, obviously, for this year, for Sivach Sinatayva, and maybe also to be Zaycha, to reach that, that threshold, so to speak, that our Shafa here can herald in the Shafa of Shemaim, which will be the Vahaya Bayomahu, Yitaka Bashafa Gadah, the Shafa which will herald the coming of Mashiach. A question for the Rav, the Voda Rav? Yeah. Um, does this mean that there's a Maila to? Blow the chauffeur here with greater intensity. 